0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. Volume 3, Chapter 4. There is one within, besides the things that we have heard and seen, recounts most horrid sights seen by the watch. Julius Caesar. In the morning, Emily found Madame Montoni nearly in the same condition as on the preceding night. She had slept little, and that little had not refreshed her. She smiled on her niece, and seemed cheered by her presence, but spoke only a few words, and never named Montoni, who, however, soon after entered the room. His wife, when she understood that he was there, appeared much agitated but was entirely silent, till Emily rose from a chair at the bedside when she begged, in a feeble voice, that she would not leave her. The visit of Montoni was not to soothe his wife, whom he knew to be dying, or to console, or to ask her forgiveness, but to make a last effort to procure that signature which would transfer her estates in Languedoc after her death to him rather than to Emily. This was a scene that exhibited, on his part, his usual inhumanity, and, on that of Madame Montoni, a persevering spirit, contending with a feeble frame, while Emily repeatedly declared to him her willingness to resign all claim to those estates, rather than that the last hours of her aunt should be disturbed by contention. Montoni, however, did not leave the room till his wife, exhausted by the obstinate dispute, had fainted, and she lay so long insensible that Emily began to fear that the spark of life was extinguished. At length she revived, and, looking feebly up at her niece, whose tears were falling over her, made an effort to speak, but her words were unintelligible, and Emily again apprehended she was dying. Afterwards, however, she recovered her speech, and being somewhat restored by a cordial, Conversed for a considerable time on the subject of her estates in France with clearness and precision, she directed her niece where to find some papers relative to them which she had hitherto concealed from the search of Montoni, and earnestly charged her never to suffer those papers to escape her soon after this conversation. Madame Montoni sunk into a doze and continued slumbering till evening when she seemed better than she had been since her removal from the turret emily never left her for a moment till long after midnight and even then would not have quitted the room had not her aunt entreated that she would retire to rest she then obeyed the more willingly because her patient appeared somewhat recruited by sleep and giving annette the same injunction as on the preceding night she withdrew to her own apartment but her spirits were wakeful and agitated and finding it impossible to sleep she determined to watch once more for the mysterious appearance that had so much interested and alarmed her it was now the second watch of the night and about the time when the figure had before appeared emily heard the passing steps of the sentinels on the rampart as they changed guard and when all was again silent she took her station on the casement leaving her lamp in a remote part of the chamber that she might escape notice from without the moon gave a faint and uncertain light, for heavy vapour surrounded it and, often rolling over the disk, left the scene below in total darkness. It was in one of these moments of obscurity that she observed a small and lambent flame moving at some distance on the terrace. While she gazed, it disappeared, and the moon again emerging from the lurid and heavy thunderclouds, she turned her attention to the heavens, where the vivid lightings darted from cloud to cloud and flashed silently on the woods below she loved to catch in the momentary gleam the gloomy landscape sometimes a cloud opened its light upon a distant mountain and while the sudden splendor loomed all its recesses of rock and wood the rest of the scene remained in deep shadow at others partial features of the castle were revealed by the glimpse the ancient arch leading to the east rampart the turret above or the fortifications beyond and then, perhaps, the whole edifice with all its towers, its dark, massy walls and pointed casements would appear and vanish in an instant. Emily, looking again upon the rampart, perceived the flame she had seen before. It moved onward, and soon after, she thought, she heard a footstep. The light appeared and disappeared frequently, while, as she watched, it glided under her casements, and at the same instant she was certain that a footstep passed. But the darkness did not permit her to distinguish any object except the flame. It moved away, and then by a gleam of lightning she perceived some person on the terrace. All the anxieties of the preceding night returned. This person advanced, and the playing flame alternately appeared and vanished. Emily wished to speak to end her doubts, Whether this figure were human or supernatural, but her courage failed as often as she attempted utterance, till the light moved again under the casement, and she faintly demanded who passed. "'A friend,' replied a voice. "'What friend?' said Emily, somewhat encouraged. "'Who are you, and what is that light you carry?' "'I am Antonio, one of the Signor's soldiers,' replied the voice. "'And what is that tapering light you bear?' said Emily.' See how it darts upwards and now it vanishes? This light, lady, said the soldier, has appeared tonight, as you see it, on the point of my lance, ever since I have been on watch. But what it means, I cannot tell. This is very strange, said Emily. My fellow guard, continued the man, has the same flame on his arms. He says he has sometimes seen it before. I never did. I am but lately come to the castle for I have not been long a soldier. How does your comrade account for it? said Emily. He says it is an omen, lady, and bodes no good. And what harm can it bode? rejoined Emily. He knows not so much as that, lady. Whether Emily was alarmed by this omen or not, she certainly was relieved from much terror by discovering this man to be only a soldier on duty, and it immediately occurred to her that it might be he, who had occasioned so much alarm on the preceding night. There were, however, some circumstances that still required explanation. As far as she could judge by the faint moonlight that had assisted her observation, the figure she had seen did not resemble this man either in shape or size. Besides, she was certain it had carried no arms. The silence of its steps, if steps it had, the moaning sounds too which it had uttered, and its strange disappearance, were circumstances of mysterious import that did not apply, with probability, to a soldier engaged in the duty of his guard. She now inquired of the sentinel whether he had seen any person beside his fellow watch walking on the terrace about midnight, and then briefly related what she had herself observed. "'I was not on guard that night, lady,' replied the man, "'but I heard of what happened.' there are amongst us who believe strange things. Strange stories, too, have long been told of this castle, but it is no business of mine to repeat them, and for my part, I have no reason to complain. Our chief does nobly by us. I commend your prudence, said Emily. Good night, and accept this from me, she added, throwing him a small piece of coin, and then closing the casement to put an end to the discourse. When he was gone... She opened it again, listened with a gloomy pleasure to the distant thunder that began to murmur along the mountains, and watched the arrowy lightnings which broke over the remoter scene. The peeling thunder rolled onward, and then, reverbed by the mountains, other thunder seemed to answer from the opposite horizon, while the accumulating clouds, entirely concealing the moon, assumed a red, sulfurous tinge that foretold a violent storm. Emily remained at her casement till the vivid lightning that now every instant revealed the wide horizon and the landscape below made it no longer safe to do so, and she went to her couch, but unable to compose her mind to sleep, still listened in silent awe to the tremendous sounds that seemed to shake the castle to its foundation. She had continued thus for a considerable time, when, amidst the uproar of the storm, she thought "'she heard a voice, and raising herself to listen, "'saw the chamber door open and Annette enter "'with a countenance of wild affright. "'She is dying, Mumswell, my lady is dying,' said she. "'Emily started up and ran to Madame Montoni's room. "'When she entered, her aunt appeared to have fainted, "'for she was quite still and insensible. "'And Emily, with a strength of mind "'that refused to yield to grief "'while any duty required her activity, applied every means that seemed likely to restore her. But the last struggle was over. She was gone forever. When Emily perceived that all her efforts were ineffectual, she interrogated the terrified Annette and learned that Madame Montoni had fallen into a doze soon after Emily's departure, in which she had continued until a few minutes before her death. "'I wondered, Memswell said Annette, "'what was the reason my lady did not seem frightened at the thunder?' when i was so terrified and i went often to the bed to speak to her but she appeared to be asleep till presently i heard a strange noise and on going to her saw she was dying emily at this recital shed tears she had no doubt but that the violent change in the air which the tempest produced had affected this fatal one on the exhausted frame of madame montoni After some deliberation, she determined that Montoni should not be informed of this event till the morning, for she considered that he might, perhaps, utter some inhuman expressions, such as in the present temper of her spirits she could not bear. With Annette alone, therefore, whom she encouraged by her own example, she performed some of the last solemn offices for the dead, and compelled herself to watch during the night by the body of her deceased aunt. During this solemn period rendered more awful by the tremendous storm that shook the air, she frequently addressed herself to heaven for support and protection, and her pious prayers, we may believe, were accepted of the God that giveth comfort. End of Volume 3, Chapter 4